I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport by myself, Catherine Whitaker, who today shall be known as One Wine Whitaker, and by David Law, who today shall be known as Two Beers Law, despite the fact that he's only on his first beer, because we'll be breaking midway through, surely for a second beer for the lawman, because uh, due to the late recording time of this podcast... Uh, we were unable to sneak into the Putney Exchange in time. So we we have migrated, David, to the pub down the road, which means pub podcast. Yes, which, uh, I mean, let's see how things go. In 45 minutes' time, I might <laughs> demand that we don't actually publish this show. Uh, but anyway, we'll try our best to If you're to listening to this, it went well. It went yes. brilliantly. It was the perfect amount of beer for the lawman. <laughs> yes. Um, and we have tennis to talk about. First of all, thanks to David and to Simon Briggs for holding the fort while I failed to get a tan in yes. the Caribbean. I did wonder, I mean, did you actually go anywhere? Or I'm very, very um, prudent about um, sunblock, Dave. Yes. Well, not sunblock, about tanning lotion. I'm, a, I'm very pale-skinned mm-hmm. um, and very health-conscious. Good. So, no, I don't have a tan. No. <laughs> I can vouch for But that. I'm delighted that everyone keeps asking. That's great. <laughs> it's lovely to have to explain why you don't have a tan when you've been to the Caribbean. Are anyway, the two, that was two, lovely. Are the two Caribbeans? Is one of them in uh, Worcestershire? <laughs> That's what I want to know. Is one of them in Solihull? Yes. Um, no, but it's lovely to come back to seven degrees and rain, which is what we're recording in today. Always improves my mood before a podcast, David. Yeah, I, mean, I am sitting a fair distance away from you. I mean, there are many things that affect my mood, but seven degrees and rain in, uh, in April when you've spent a whole holiday hearing about the heatwave back home, is pretty annoying. Uh, Should we talk about some tennis, David? Probably best to go that route. Um, The tennis that's been happening this week, or the most prominent tennis uh, that's been happening this week, has been happening on the men's tour in Barcelona, where Rafael Nadal won a uh, 11th and completely superlative, exhausting title in Barcelona. I mean, we've all run out completely of words to describe what Rafael Nadal is doing on clay in 2018 and in Stuttgart, where Karolina Pliskova 
uh, won the WTA title there, defeating Coco Vandeweghe in the final. Nadal defeated Stefano Tsitsipas in the title, uh, in the final to win the title. Six two six one was the scoreline. It's his forty sixth set in a row won on clay. His nineteenth straight victory on the surface. And frankly, frankly, that feels. That feels like a slightly modest number because of the loss to, to team in Rome last year, which although it was a brilliant performance from, from Dominic team and, and probably the best we've seen of team, it, we haven't seen the same from team since. It has to be caveated by the fact that that was an exhausted Rafael Nadal, doesn't it? So really, <laughs> the 19 straight wins and the 46 straight sets feels like a modest reflection of what Rafael Nadal is doing on clay at the moment. Yeah, I, I'm trying to work out whether he has ever looked this dominant. Even if you go back 10 years, obviously he's won 10 French Opens, which when you say out loud just sounds absurd. Um, but the manner in which he's winning his 11th Monte Carlo and his 11th um, Barcelona title, plus the wins in Davis Cup, and of course that run without dropping a set at the French Open last year. Maybe, is, it, is, it, is it he? Is it Rafa getting better? Is, it, is he playing cleverer tennis? Is he better physically than he used to be? Is the opposition subpar? That, they, these are some of the questions that are going around my head at the moment. And there's no scientific way. I mean, I've asked my brother, Statman, if there's a scientific way to, to answer the question. But at the moment, uh, until he gets back to me on WhatsApp, there doesn't seem to be a scientific way to answer that question. I think the, the cop-out answer is it's a combination of those things. My feeling is that the opposition isn't there in the way I would like it to be. Um, it felt like it was gathering last year and certainly obviously a couple of years ago when Novak Djokovic was doing what he did uh, on clay and uh, it very much felt like the opposition was there, but then that coincided with the Nadal lull, didn't it? So, but although quite interestingly, I, I think it might have been Simon Briggs last week saying that actually, in many ways, the Nadal lull was a result of well, the Djokovic. Exactly. Dominance. So you you have all these intersecting factors, and you you also have the fact that those factors are not mutually exclusive. They're all sort of interdependent it's such a it's such a mental game that you know is the fact that there's no opposition to him at the moment on clay to do with the fact that his locker room aura is such that everyone walks on the court defeated i mean i i i don't know i was thinking about stefano sitsipas and I, before the match and i thought you know the logical part of my brain said well obviously this guy doesn't have Which it but, that? Uh, <laughs> obviously this guy doesn't have a hope in hell, as much as I think Stefano Sitsipas is, is brilliant and really exciting. I mean, logic dictates this guy doesn't have a chance. And then I thought, but hang on, if anyone's going to have a chance, surely it's a, a fearless young guy with nothing to lose. You know, somebody that goes out there, yeah, completely fearless, without the locker room aura dominating their, their psyche. And... Um, and frankly, the, the locker room aura was there. He was going for so much, wasn't he? He played a, he played a completely different style of tennis to, to what he had played in the previous matches. And that's to what, what it's had, doing to To be. what had got him victories over Dominic Team and Diego mm. Schwartzman. An amazing week for Sitsipas. But he stepped on the court and he thought, oh my goodness, I've got to go for a winner on every shot. I've got to do things that don't feel natural to me because yeah. it's Nadal and because it's Nadal on clay. So... Yeah, it is. The, the, all the factors involved in Nadal's dominance are so interdependent that I think it's almost impossible to extricate one from the other. However, um, w when I was w watching the, 
the final yesterday and and it was broadcast in the UK on uh, on Sky Sports and they had Peter Fleming in the studio and and Mark Petchy uh, doing the commentary alongside Barry Milnes and and they were you know with the best will in the world the 6261 final is not great for t- TV broadcasters is it that's not you know they were trying to you know they couldn't they had to address the fact that that's not a great final you know you tune into a final expecting to see um, some sort of showdown and, and it wasn't that so they had to address it and and uh, Peter Fleming sort of said but you don't need you don't you don't need competition for a spectacle when someone's this good you know it's like Federer winning Wimbledon last year without losing a set who needs competition when you've got something this incredible to behold and I personally don't feel that way. I don't know about you, David, but I feel like the appreciating of Nadal can exist separately and you can still want Nadal to have some competition and you can still want to see competitive tennis. I think what Nadal is doing is mind-boggling. I had I hadn't written him off, but you know, it's it's, yes, sad, it's sadly off. on record on the tennis podcast that I thought it was more likely than not that he probably wouldn't win another Grand Slam, and and uh, and you your your gleeful face is making me feel a bit ill right now. Um, but yeah, I think what he's doing is I, I I don't have the words to describe, but I think he is. Ex- I mean, exceptional sounds ridiculous. I mean, I describe you know describe mere mortals is exceptional what he's doing is unreal however i don't want to see 6261 finals i don't want to i don't want to see him win the french open in straight straight sets every without dropping a set i i personally don't want to see that because i don't feel other than football david which is a very tribal sport and I don't want to talk about football, so it's not going brilliantly for West Brom at the moment. But Keeps frankly, talking. it's not going brilliantly for Reading either. So, no. <laughs> um, I, I, I think competition transcends any tribal feelings you might have about any particular player. I know that's not the case for absolutely everybody. I know from experience on Twitter, as do you, that some people do feel tribal enough, particularly about Federer and Nadal, <laughs> that that does transcend appreciation of, of competition. But for me... I would rather watch a competitive match than I would want to watch any particular player or individual, no matter how brilliant they are. That's how I feel. So I feel like I can pay immense tribute to Rafael Nadal and also shrug my shoulders and go, oh, why can't somebody else be even close to as brilliant? Why can't somebody else challenge? Yeah, I don't want to see a procession because sport is competition. Hmm. Interesting one. Uh, I mean, I, generally speaking, I would agree, but I feel like the the quest to try to challenge him, I find interesting in itself. It makes me sort of switch on at the start in every match because of the curiosity. Can I mean, we've seen so many different styles try to take on the Dow in the last two to three weeks. Uh, Dimitrov had a go, and he was playing quite well for a set and used to try to use his athleticism and trying to really go for it we had uh nishikori standing toe to toe trying to play a, a sort of he tries to play a sort of more a hard court game against him we had sitsapas who's got the the sort of more arcing back end but he was sort of tearing his own form book up and trying Is to find a way though? to do to do uh what he could do against him but you know he is rendering everybody impotent right now 
Is it, though, about the style? I mean, no, no doubt you've got to find a pattern of play that, that is effective, but I, I think that is a fraction of the problem. The fact is, what you, 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 is his intensity doesn't drop for a fraction for a moment. So all these guys that might feel like they found the key and, and unlocked the seat, we know that Grigor Dimitrov can't keep up what he needs to do to beat Rafael Nadal over over best of five sets, probably not over best of three sets on clay. That's the problem, isn't it? Is that whatever key you find, you've got to hang on to that key tightly for for probably three hours, even in a best of three set match, and nobody can do that mentally. No, I I think that is the problem. Team managed to do it by teeing off against him, but again, it was it was a tired Nadal, and and I, I look at two. Um, examples of that one being Dominic team last year at the in Rome who then got a hammering when they played each other again at the French Open we all think back to what Robin Soderling did in 2009 knocking out Rafael Nadal with that big game and stepping and hitting the huge forehand we sort of quite conveniently forget that he then got absolutely dismantled a year later in the final against the same player Nadal just destroyed him and this is the thing is, you, you might get him once. You might get him when he's tired. But this Nadal, I mean, I, you have to discount the one that for two years was dominated by Novak Djokovic, particularly at the French, and he was losing other matches as well. I mean, if you look at Nadal's record in 2015 and, uh, and so forth, and 2016, he was losing to a lot of players that, that, that are not, you know, wouldn't be getting close to him right now. So I think that locker room aura is, is a big factor um i incidentally i i saw a conversation going on on twitter with in which darren cahill was was got got involved and was was poking a bit of fun at chris fowler of espn the the, the excellent presenter we've had on the tennis podcast he he was saying he wondered whether nadal could do with missing one of madrid or rome specifically just to rest up you know maybe maybe it'd be better for him to lose early you know in 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 rome and uh and darren cahill jokingly said don't don't talk about losing, and I, and it did make me think seriously, which would be better? Is it? And I asked Darren, is it better for for Nadal to conserve energy now, uh, and you know, he's got got all this in the bank, um, or is it better to to just maintain that locker room power of just destroying everybody? And and he said it's either, but after some injuries to the start of this year. This period has been really important to get the confidence in winning and the confidence in his body. He has it now, um, and he knows best. That's the point he, he was making. And I, I think it, it is possible that Nadal could could pull out of one of those two. But personally, I just think the manner that he's winning, the ease with which he's winning, will make him think, well, I'll just carry on. Why should I? I, mem- I we had similar conversations last year, and uh, and... There was a lot of speculation about whether he'd pull out of Rome in the end. He played, ended up losing to, to Dominic Team in the semi-finals, was it? I think. Mm. Um, and I think everybody at the time thought, well, that's probably a blessing in disguise. And he went on to win the French Open without dropping his set. So, I don't know. I have two questions for you, David. Ooh, two yeah. completely disparate questions okay. relating to Rafael Nadal. First one, as a um, self-identifying um, slicer dicer. Yeah. A, a what I would identify what I would identify you as is a tricksy, a tricksy opponent. Yeah, that's me. I, I reckon Nadal would find that a bit tricky. And me. also somebody um, 
I know from personal experience because you demanded that we replay a match point despite the fact there being absolutely no dispute over any line call from, from anybody with eyes in the arena. However, All three of them. so somebody with die-hard competitiveness and a tricksy approach to tennis, would you... Stand a chance against Rafa? No? Drop shot him on the return. He stands yeah. 5,000 metres behind that baseline. I would try. Would you... Would I underarm him? Would you underarm serve him? Well, we had that out last week with Simon Briggs, and uh, absolutely, of course I would. Why, so why isn't anyone doing it? Because, I mean, well, as, as the point was made last week about Mark Petchy's view, that, you know, it's just not the done thing. Oh, not the done thing. Michael Chang is the nicest man in sport. Yeah, but as Mark pointed out, he was cramping. He was desperate. So, everyone, everyone on the tour playing clay court tennis right now in a competition with Rafael Nadal, if you want to win... A, a anything trust me you're desperate <laughs> they might <laughs> they might not would. want to be hearing this right now but you are in a desperate position yeah. imagine what Mansell uh, these, would do these are the most competitive creatures known to man David what do you mean I mean why on earth would there be a tactic that they could be employing that they're not Tell yeah, me. I, well, I would Tell do it. Me. I would absolutely because do it. Because of a weird gentleman's <laughs> agreement. There are other things that are accepted as commonplace that are far less sportsmanlike than that. Mm. Yeah, I, I think it's... It, it, I mean, it's completely uh, the, the, arbitrary that well, that is considered unacceptable The, the point for I me. made to Simon, and I stand by it, is, yeah, it might work for one point, two points. Yeah, but then it makes him question where he stands on the return. And then, then you've got doubt in Rafael Nadal's mind. Look, I'm not saying it's going to win Stefano Sixapas that final. I'm not saying it's going to... But, you know, why not try? Well, it certainly why would be interesting. Why nobody trying? It would be interesting to find some uh, some opponents who just did things completely differently to see if it worked. A David you know? Law. A no. Monica Nicolescu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what, Monica, Monica Nicolescu went underarm serve to Nadal. What about me and Monica and me against <laughs> Rafa? Who would win that? I think you're doing a disservice to Monica there. <laughs> I, th- <laughs> I could take the backhand side. My second question, right. David, and again, this arises um, from a, uh, a conversation topic that arose on the the, the Sky uh, commentary um, of the final. Are you annoyed at Roger Federer? Are you becoming... An- I think some people are becoming just a little bit annoyed at Roger Federer, Federer that he's leaving us to wonder a little bit this clay court season he's he's i'm not he's, annoyed I, I mean i'm, I'm and curious. he's leaving us to wonder you know what are the matches that we're being denied by look, his I, conservative approach to look I, I i'm not questioning his decision i'm sure it's best for him federal well, I, I just think it's, sen- for, it's for just sensible tennis I, I, pat- yeah I, no no we're not talking about what's best for federal we're talking about what's best no for I'm, us not, I'm not annoyed because fans. i still feel that the that the end result would be pretty chastening for Roger Federer I think that, do you? yeah I think Nadal would destroy him on, on oh. play yeah I mean right where's the evidence to the contrary he's always done so on these but surfaces. hang on but whoa 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 at the time that he'd always done so he also had the better of Federer on all surfaces yeah. so things it wasn't, I'm not sure that's not, scientific enough I'm not disagreeing with you you asked me but what that I is thought. not scientific so I told you what I think uh, and uh that, that would be my reasoning for it. I, I, I think, i tell you what would be really interesting is just how he would approach him because I don't think he'd underarm serve him, but I do think he would chop little half-pace, undercut, backhand, spinning returns, just floating them, dropping them over the net the and then try to pass it. The sort that you do it. by accident. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> I love the comparison. Thanks. Um, and I think he would. Uh, I think he would slam the backhand returns when he could. But the, the difference is they wouldn't do much. I don't think on that surface against Nadal. I just don't think they would. It's interesting. I wasn't expecting such an emphatic response. Look for what it's worth. What do you I, think? For what it's worth, I think that Nadal would get the better of Federer on clay at the moment. But I. Th- I think my feeling is it would be more competitive than you think. It's a completely I do f- different I, sport. I do feel like we're we're being denied some some. I feel like Federer against Nadal on clay would still be a better match than, right. than Nadal well, against anybody else on clay you, at the moment. And I, I'm you, annoyed that we're being denied those potentially good matches. If you had the choice, uh, if you were in charge, Catherine Whitaker tour, um, would you make players play no, or, or get, no, get no. fined and suspended no. and whatever? No, because ultimately it's good that Federer is still in the sport and his approach will allow him to be in the sport for as long as possible. I'm just being completely selfish about the matter. Yeah, okay, well, selfish is good. Just a couple of quick stats here. Uh, Nadal is 128 wins and 13 defeats against right-handed one-handers on clay. Thank you to ATP Media Info for that stat. And in fact, there are only 10 players that have a winning record against Rafael Nadal ever. How about that? Can you name them? Can I name them? How many of them are active? Uh, there are one, two, three players, I believe, that are active currently that have a winning record against uh, three Rafael Nadal. players. From this. There's a couple of corkers that, that are not active, like Chris Guccione. <laughs> <laughs> Dom- Dominic Habati is dominating Nadal 3-1. <laughs> is Tim uh, one of them? No, Joachim Johansson is 1-0. Is Yuji Novak one of them? No, Olivier Mutis is, has a 1-0. These guys are You're not doing very well answer. here, are you? I'm, yeah, I'm uh, we, We've got Paradorn Shrishapan, who's oh. 1-0. We've got Alex Karecha, as we know, who's 2-0. Actually, I didn't know that. Marit Safin? beaten Federer and he's beaten Nadal twice. Marit Safin? No. Oh, Nikolai dear. Davidenko is 6-5 up uh, against Three him. active players. Del yeah. Potro? Uh, no, you, you are rubbish I am rubbish. I wish you wouldn't spring these things on me right. when we're doing a pub podcast. One of them's really famous <laughs> and we've been talking about him already. Djokovic. Yes, twenty six, twenty four is his okay. head to get yeah, against. There was two obvious. My, my my mind was going into obscurity. And the others are Denis Shapovalov and Dustin Brown. Dustin Brown. Who'd have thought it? So there we are. Statastic. Thank you very much. ATB Media Info. I sh- can I point out the fact that you had your phone in front of you? That wasn't off the top of your head. No, uh, it wasn't. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, good, good, nonetheless. You know, I love. You know, I love scientific. Stats. Talking of which, which polls I've been roll, running some corking polls this That's, week in your absence. It's, it, 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 we were talking the, about the opposite. My favourite one was Bjorn Borg uh, I, with a wooden no, racket against Rafael David, Nadal. I hate it so much. I can't allow this to happen. 590 votes. Do you want to know the result? <laughs> That's a no. Okay, uh, so what, what else have we got to talk about? Uh, 52, what did you, what did you, 52% of everybody. How much of a breakthrough was it for Pass? quickly? Um, I think he was massive. He beat some serious players last week. You know, he's exciting. We've talked about it, but he 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 threw in some results to go with it. He beat Diego Schwartzman. He beat Dominic Team. Um, he beat Pablo Carina Buster. These are proper players, and he stood toe to toe with them on clay, worked them out, overpowered them, beat them, and he's great to watch. If you've not watched Sitsapas play. 
he just makes you care about his results and his fortunes. He's he he embraces crowds and occasions, and let's just hope he is able to continue this because I think he's a really good news story for the sport. And um, he's got a proper beard, which for a teenager I think is is good going. It is. I mean, I'm more than twice his age, and I would love <laughs> one of those. Um, so, um, not and happening. just quickly before we move on to Pliskova and Vanderway and Stuttgart, um, how what what's going on with Dominic Team? I know it's early days in his comeback, but that not a great week for him. It's not going well. He's not, you know. Well, he's. I mean, first of all, he has been injured in recent weeks, so maybe that's a factor. Um, he got that horrible beatdown from Nadal the other week. Um, but yeah, still, I'm still surprised. Uh, I, I'm, surpri- I'm surprised by the manner he lost to to Sitsabat. I mean, it was what two and three or three yeah. and two. You know, that's that's not what I would have expected from that match between two single-handed backhands. So in Stuttgart, we have had the event, which for me will always um, resonate. You know, last year it was the Sharapova comeback event, wasn't it? I mean, there's there's been a lot else that's happened in Stuttgart over the years, but this time last year, it's amazing to think that that was a year ago. It was uh, it was a huge circus, but we have had Karolina Pliskova defeating Coco Vanderway, David, in a clay court final. Yes, we have. Well, I mean, that, that's. I mean, I think that first of all, that seven, tells six, you six four. Sorry, that, her tenth career title. That's Pliskova. a reminder that it's an indoor clay court tournament, and I think it is the only indoor clay court tournament on either tour. And I think that that tells you something. That I, I don't want to do them a disservice. I know that I probably have in a way by, by saying that because they're not known for their clay court play. But indoors where you take away the elements, you take away the, the wind, and I think it makes quite a significant difference. That having been said, both of them have made massive strides over the past week. Uh, I asked on Twitter, because I didn't get to see this final, I asked um, what sort of match this was. I mean, maybe you saw it. But first of all, let's just hear Tennis Parent says... Pliskova is known for her big forehand, but the touch on her backhand slice, drop shots and angles was Federer-esque. Also used the lob to great effect. Um, Enjoyed Coco's passion. She really cared. Hits the hell out of the forehand and ran for everything. Great final. A lot of people were saying as well about Pliskova that her serve is back and that that was their biggest takeaway from it, that, you know... She's, she's reached some quarterfinals and semis this year, has Pliskova, but she's been half the player because she's been hitting loads of double faults and the serve hasn't been working. She hit 14 aces in that two-set final. That's good going on clay. really is. So Pliskova, you know, hugely capable. Uh, on the subject to Coco Vanderway, her run to that final was amazing. She beat Sloane Stevens, She beat Simona Halep. Um, I can't remember who else she beat. Angelique Kerber, I think, as well. Um, but a brilliant run to the final. And, uh, and afterwards, I had a little chat with her coach, Pat Cash, on text, which is my new favourite medium. Hang on, do you mean text message? Do you mean SMS text message? Yeah, that's, well, <laughs> no, WhatsApp. Is that the same thing? It's not the same thing, no. Basically, it is, isn't <laughs> oh, it? It's a me. bunch of letters and you send, oh. press send, don't you? Anyway. All, all the kids are tuning out to this podcast as we speak. <laughs> anyway. Yes, do you want to know what Pat said? Anyway, you've diverted us from your name dropping with your, <laughs> your Luddite-ishness. Yes, Luddite-ish. okay, well, no, Pat Cash, uh, 1987 Wimbledon champion, who has been coaching Coco Vanderway nearly a year now, hasn't he? And, I mean, they've had a pretty 
they had a, pr- a pretty good start. I mean, she had a decent run at Wimbledon. Then I think she got to the semi-finals of the U.S. Open, didn't she? And uh, you you spent quite a lot of time with Pat uh, working for Eurosport at, at the U.S. Open and got a chance to to really get an idea of of, of his ideas and thoughts going in and how he wanted to coach her but the results since then have not been good and she she struggled as well I think with injury but um this was a great run so I was asking Pat what what he thought about her run and and how well she'd done the other thing I noted as well was she at the end of the match just broke down in tears on his shoulder I mean it was really quite moving she was giving him a hug for about 30 seconds just just in in floods of tears and Pat said she did really well. She, this, I find this so interesting. He said she can play on clay. In fact, she has a perfect clay game in that she has a big kick serve, a massive forehand, and a backhand. He said we did five days on clay in December, and she didn't understand why. I said because you need to get better on clay. It's mainly tactical with her, he says, but with a huge focus on the mindset of constant pressure, which really means no something mistakes he used a bit of a swear word there sorry everybody um we set a goal to play every point hard chase every ball this year in matches and in practice and also uh, to understand how to move and listen to this he said sliding is very overrated on clay if you watch Rafa and Djokovic and Federer they only slide to balance on the wide balls sliding is actually just a way of slowing down he said my old foes are giving me a hard time saying you never did well on clay but I had some good wins and I've played better now on it than I ever did I tell them I've condensed 15 years of hard lessons into a few theories for saving her the confusion if she continues to work for every point this will be massive for her her improvement yes she was very emotional as I explained to her for her personality to stay focused takes mental power and she has to develop endurance as well as physical endurance she can do it isn't it interesting uh, i mean yeah i'm still digesting all of that david does this thing where he if he's got sort of news to break or input from uh, an external um, name droppy he won't preview it with me so I'll, I'll tell you when we're recording so i hear it for the first time at the same time you do so, so i'm course. still processing all of that you've bombarded me with all this information i mean yeah ab- absolutely fascinating insight i mean he he was born to be a coach Pat Cash wasn't he well yeah. how has he not been coaching so I know he, he's had you know he's dipped, his toe. he's dipped his toe I know Greg, Greg Rozeski for a little while but only toe dips well I, I mean the, the truth of the matter in my opinion is that Pat Cash doesn't always go down well with everybody on the circuit because he says things that people don't necessarily want to hear um, he says what he thinks he doesn't say what he thinks people want to hear I mean I you and I, we both like Pat anyway. We, we've both seen great sides to him, and, 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 and we know what a kind person he can be. He can also be very, very difficult, or he could say things that can really upset you if, 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 if the mood takes him. But the fact is, as a coach, I don't think necessarily that people always want to hear the things that he's got to say. Coco Vanderway, I have actually got respect for her. She's another sort of slight outsider in that way. She's happy to say things that people might not want to hear. And as an alliance, that makes them all the more interesting. He also said about her, she didn't learn the clay court basics. And it's, and it's no coincidence that almost all players for the past 20 years have grown up on clay. US players aside, like Sampras, Roddick and Davenport, although he says 
Roddick did play at, at his academy. He says, Coca has the power very few have. It's about using it wisely and not wildly. What can her opponents do when she doesn't miss? The answer is almost nothing. Yeah. But, I mean, I can't argue with that, can I? I mean, I, I mean, look at the fact that Sharapova won two French Open titles. I mean, I don't think I've seen, seen her slide ever. Oh, actually, you know, she did develop a slide. It was... Uh, was it a slide, though? Was it a... Oh, you know, I think you might slightly... She, it wasn't a... She had one of those sliding boards, that I heard, and, and actually went out of a way to learn how to do it. Um, but it's, but, but it, early on, she couldn't I mean, it, She's not a natural on it. Not a natural slide. And look at Andy Murray. I mean, Andy Murray, actually, did you do it, that sort of growing up on clay expression is one that we, um, we band around quite a lot. But Andy Murray actually started training solidly on clay from the age of 12 when he moved out to the Sanchez Casal Academy and he doesn't slide really he every now and then sort of is forced into one sort well, of he like does he it said, without isn't it? but he doesn't instinctively when slide out wide at all or, or whatever well, you know. or, but Andy Murray doesn't really mm. not really and, and that's having got there I mean 12 was basically too late for him to learn that instinctive slide so you've sort of got a okay maybe Sharapova developed a, an uninstinctive slide but basically you've got to kiss kiss goodbye to to that and try and do it do it your own way and he's right it, she she has a big enough game you know Sampras semi-final at the French that that was pretty good in a different era he would have been a friend you know with a slice of luck that that Federer got with Robin Sodling he maybe could have been a French Open winner if you hit the ball that hard if you hit the ball hard enough and it goes to the right place does it matter what surface it's landing do you know on? I I Look, I personally think it does, and I, I feel that Sampras didn't commit to the surface enough back in the day. I don't think he tried to play on it enough. He he would, yeah, he played Monte Carlo a few times, but basically he wanted to play Rome. Well, exactly, and, what and could French he have Open. done if he'd committed? Um, whereas you look at Jim Courier back then, who decided that's that's his favoured service, and we and I, it's quite interesting to monitor what Brad Gilbert has to say about this these days on on Twitter. He he despairs at the US players reluctance to play on European red clay the the fact that they won't come over and play Monte Carlo um, he just doesn't understand it particularly a guy like Jack Sock who has the game that is just tailor made he, he says clay's it. his favorite surface yeah uh, and and he, he 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 can't understand why they don't do it and and i think a lot of it is just homesickness they don't want to be in europe for that long Kyrgios as well. I know he's injured at the moment, but that has accounted in the past for his not wanting to play Monte Carlo. Yeah, and I mean, in, in Pete Sampras's case, it, knowing that he would play Queens and then Wimbledon and the French Open backing on to, to, to Queens, I just don't think he wanted to be away from the States that long. I, I think that that was probably one of the bigger problems. And I think that definitely the same applies to probably John Isner and Jack Sock and Sam Query as well. And I think all of them could could be getting better results on European clay than they're showing. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't disagree with that. Um, but, I mean, yeah, incredibly interesting about that. I'm still processing it all, David. I'm still processing it. But the, I think the kick serve is a very... That, I think was, that was the first point you made. I managed to just about log that in my mind bank before, <laughs> before you read out the rest. I think that's a very... I mean, that's an essential weapon, isn't it? If, if you're going to succeed on clay. Well, uh, somebody actually on, on social media at Tennis Podcast compared some of the things that, that he or she was seeing of Coco Vanderway to that of Sam Stosa, who 
also has one of the great kick serves out wide and then a big forehand to, to back it up. And she's reached French Open finals. So, well, it, it'll just be interesting, won't it? I've seen Van der Wey play in Rome and hit the ball incredibly well, but look like she could barely stand up. I mean, it's a different kind of clay to what you find in Stuttgart indoors. So we'll monitor her progress with interest and that of Pliskova because it's kind of a similar thing in a way. Yeah, and we will. And Madrid will be interesting because although it's outdoor, it is at altitude. So mm. some of the indoor conditions are sort of slightly quicker through the air, slightly replicated, although in, an, in a different way in Madrid. So that'll be interesting. Uh, we'll be back in a moment, but f- we do have to take a quick break because currently Tubi's law is not living up to his name. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Okay, we are back with official Two Beers Law and uh, we're going to talk, David, finally, after my years of waiting, about uh, Victor Skugor. Excellent. Also Vic- known as Franco Victor- Skugor. Oh, have I done it again? Yes, you have. I thought you were doing a joke, but <laughs> apparently not. Ju- because <laughs> you, you actually did text me yesterday and you said did you see that Dominglot won a title with Victor Skugor did I say and, Victor yeah you did and I genuinely oh. thought oh Catherine's just carrying the joke on from last time when she got his name wrong because she doesn't know who he is and turns out no she still thinks his name is Victor sorry Victor sorry Franco whatever your name can is can you just take over presenting for a while without just laughing yeah. at myself Very. did you know <laughs> incidentally at the at Franco the, doesn't sound right no well I'll have a Maybe we could just put inverted commas or something, Victor. Um, But at the trophy presentation, I didn't realise that Victor stroke Franco is taller 
than Dom Inglot. And it is quite a... I mean, imagine if you got those two up against you. Uh, but anyway, uh, as I was uh, regaling uh, the other day, the... Um, I had a chat with, with Inglot two weeks oh, ago. Oh, well, you know, just oh, dropped there that one it in. is. Uh, Inglot told me that he he was having to curtail his practice sessions in order to to find a practice partner, a, a, a doubles partner, because his regular one, Marcus Daniel, or Marco Daniel, I can't remember how you say oh, his name. Oh, I thought you knew all the, all the first names, well, David. I don't know that one. Um, well, apparently he's injured for four weeks, and uh, in the words of Inglot, I'm hustling. Trying to find uh, find a doubles partner. Yeah, well, he there's found an a, image. He found a good one, so they won the title. He found uh, old Victor. Yeah, lying well, around. Well, well, why didn't Victor already have one? Can we call him by his proper name now, Franco? Um, why Why had Franco not already been snapped up? Well, he was waiting for Dom. Right, he yeah. was waiting for the right. Yes, it's uh, it's doubles Tinder, isn't it? As you put it to me on WhatsApp yesterday, and we'd had an argument the night before about you not having heard of the phrase "do me a solid." As in, can you do me a favour? Does anybody you out haven't there heard know... of the expression "do me, do me a solid"? And Has yet, anybody they, heard of that? Uh, yeah, you you all you know all about Tinder. Yeah, well, I do. <laughs> I, I mean, I t- honestly, has anybody ever heard anybody in the world say that? Yeah, Turns I out guarantee, I guarantee has. you everyone has. Student everyone has. Heard, anyway, yeah. Marco Cecchinato yes. won the singles title in Budapest. David. Is that he how beat we John Millman seven five six four in the final. Um, it's how I pronounce that. And I'm saying it confidently, and I'm sticking to it. Yep. It's his first ever ATP title, uh, and he will rise inside the world's top 60 for the first time. Have you anything to say about the victory of Marco Cecchinato? Well, not particularly, because I didn't see the match. More about his opponent, John Millman, who's had a, a terrible time uh, over the last couple of years. He's had awful illness injuries, and and I know he had to leave the game for a while, and, and he was working in an office and trying to sort of figure out whether this is his new life and uh, and he managed to come back he's made a great response um he is the loveliest bloke and um and i'm really pleased for him that he reached the final i'm also very pleased for what was his name again marco cecchinato yeah i'm very pleased for him i've never heard of him (laughs) no i have heard of him i've never met him I've never seen him play, but I'm very pleased for him that he's won the title. <laughs> he's Italian, David. He's Italian. Um, Tell us everything you know about him, folks. I've just told you he's risen inside the uh, top 60 of the ATP rankings for the first time, and he's the first lucky loser to win an ATP World Tour title since Leonardo Mayer in Hamburg last year. Well which done. isn't that great a stat, is it, because that was less than a year ago. All right. But anyway. But still. I mean, imagine how great you must feel being a lucky loser. Yeah. Well, well what an experience. That, I mean, yeah, and amazing. actually, those, those tournaments. You probably I mean, checked out the hotel and everything. Yeah. I mean, there's a story there. We, t- we tend we tend to concentrate on Barcelona because it's all the Rafa bit and Stuttgart's the big the big final on the women's circuit. And events like these can go a little unnoticed at times. I, I'm I've I love going to them, and you see somebody. It might be his. Look, he may end up going and having a massive run at the French Open and, and that becomes just part of his story. That it might, though, be the headline of his career. Who knows, you know? And, and they never forget this stuff. Uh, it's, it's, and, and also, tournaments like that in Budapest, I've, I've seen them before, the pride they take in putting these events on. I, I just love those events. And if you ever get a chance to go and see them, take it. It's worth it. Yeah, and the same goes uh, for Pauline Parmentier won the title in Istanbul uh, as well last week. I know you wanted to... We've got a few other bits and bobs 
to clear up before we uh, introduce three beers law to the equation <laughs> off air, off air. Um, one of them is that the Bryan brothers are 40 years old. Are they 40, already? 40, and you, you, you put it on the agenda because you want to do a big, big thing about how old that is, don't I know, you? well, you know... I'm so, it's funny how I'm starting to think that 40 <laughs> maybe that isn't that old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I just feel that they're marvels. I really do. And, and, but and, is 40 that old in doubles? Yes, it is. I mean, how is long it? have they been playing for now? I mean, it's been a long old time. And what, what gets me is that the assumption has been that they are very much on the decline. And here they are winning big titles. I mean, I, I just think it's, it's fantastic, really. Because, you know, they are multi-multi-millionaires. They've won everything in the sport. They don't need to be doing this. And they've got other stuff in their life. But, you know, here's Bob Bryan, five in the world now, just turned 40 years of age and, and still out there trying to, trying to absolutely maximise his career. They won the doubles title in Monte Carlo, um, which, again, you know, we've just talked about the American players that don't go to Monte Carlo. I know it's, it's not the singles, but, you know, these, these are guys with young families. They don't need to be doing this. And, and they go over and, and they, just, they just put it in. And, and they Miami also, they also well, won the yeah. Miami time. Two, uh, two ATP Masters, 1,000 this year. You're right. I think they've been not quite written off, but certainly nobody thought of them as in the same, in quite the echelon that they, that they want to wear. And I think everybody's been second-guessing their retirement for a while because, and I always forget which one it is, either Bob or Mike, one of them has three kids and has been travelling with the three kids um, for, well, I, I think the eldest is now six, maybe seven, and he he referenced once in an interview a while back that he couldn't see himself on tour once his kids had reached school age, that that would mark the signal, the moment that he had to retire. Well, he's, I think I'm pretty sure he's past that mark now, and he must be you know, figuring out a way uh, to make it work, either Bob or Mike, Bob slash Mike. Um, but certainly one of them has three kids and has been figuring out you know life on tour with three kids which uh which is not easy and bob. bob bob has three bob, children congratulations on your three kids michaela uh, robert and richard there you go well done bob um so yeah the Bryan brothers are 40 years old and still going strong they've got a few years in them haven't they if they've already navigated if bob has already navigated the homeschooling slash you know whatever that school situation is then they can carry on for a few years can't yeah they? Uh, if they can stay fit and just up for it i mean they're, they're just so good and but i just can't get over the fact that they really were on the decline it seemed and you know Final in Indian Wells, final in Acapulco, champion in Miami, champions in Monte Carlo. Congrats. Uh, we have a few uh, bits and bobs of any other business to race through uh, before we wrap up. Stan Vavrinka and Magnus Norman in the most cockle-warming story, I think, this week, have reunited. Have. We don't know yet whether it's a long-term arrangement or whether it's a... A, a comfort blanket that we don't know, do we? But they are training together in Sweden. They have been training together in Sweden this week and it, it warms your cockles. This is the it? new super coach, isn't it? Because you've got Stan Wawrinka returning to Magnus Norman. You've got Novak Djokovic returning to Marion Vida. It's the ex. Uncle Tony, maybe next? What do you think? 
He's not really required. He's at not really. I mean, he? he's still there, isn't who, who, he? He's just not geographically there. He's still on the team. He's just yeah. geographically elsewhere most of the time. So that doesn't count. No, no. And it also needs to be somebody who's not. Chilich going back to Ivanovic would be a thing. That but would be a good thing. As I understand it, the loose arrangement—it's not a formalised full-time arrangement. But I, I believe Raonic and Ivanovic are sort of continuing their trial period event by event was so, that last orders <laughs> it, i promise you we're not recording that late <laughs> um they're just trying to wrap us up um yeah, yeah. but yeah that is it's, it's returning to your ex isn't it, it it's is. you know that's have you got anything to does say? it ever work well it worked with lendl and murray didn't, oh, yeah, it? Did, didn't it funny that i'm sure somebody here said it wouldn't no okay i must be imagining that it's the new thing. It's the new thing. Serena Williams, David, we're going to get a big insight into her life. She has had HBO cameras following her around for the last um, year-ish, I yeah. think. Um, she's done a big interview this week with Chris Clary of the New York Times. Wonderful journalist. Um, he's appeared on the podcast a couple of times. Um, and it is a... It's not the most revealing... I mean, it, Serena Williams, I think, has been quite revealing, actually, in recent years. But it's it's very... Um, I'm trying to find the words for for what that interview is. It, I, I read it thinking, as much as I have absolutely nothing in common with this woman, she is um, a mother, and that's a very defining feature of her life. At the moment, she is uh, an exceptional... <laughs> A grand slam winning tennis player. I cannot relate to that. She is black. I am white. She um, has had entirely different life experiences to me. She's American. And yet I read that interview and I found myself sort of relating to her, mm. which is a testament to her and to to the write-up and the interview itself, a testament to Cliff, Chris Clary. Um, and I realized that, I mean, it could, it could be the female thing, the fact that we're we're both female but I realised that you know I started thinking about sort of Federer and Nadal and realised I'd never felt that way having well, r- reading an interview with them you know whatever works for you but I, I think it's very impressive that she's able to sort of maintain this iron woman thing and yet still reveal her vulnerability yeah she lets, she, she lets, she lets you, you inside in. and, and you got to find out what her experiences have been like over the last however long uh, certainly within motherhood and you see it on social media too i mean she she is just pouring it out really about how she feels when her daughter is asleep and when her daughter's got a cold and how it makes her feel and all these sort of things i mean that's quite unusual i i certainly within the tennis star system that i've encountered before and i wouldn't have expected that she would have um, gone down that route but but you know it is interesting and I have a lot of respect for the fact that she's prepared to do it I think there is an also an element that she's decided to make this documentary she knows how to she knows how to sell something and she knows that this I mean do you not want to know more now I do will um, it be broadcast in the UK because it's HBO isn't it not initially but you know we'll find a way yeah, I mean, and apparently the cameras, what we discovered in the Chris Clary interviews is that the cameras were there 
presumably not in, in the in, during labour, but certainly in Maybe the immediate aftermath. They were certainly there in the hospital while she was giving birth. So, yeah, look, I, I know there's a, I know there's not perhaps not a cynical, but a commercial side to these things. She does know how to sell something, and yes, I desperately, I will be doing all the illegal internet things to be able to. to no, she won't to, to watch uh, that documentary before it is available officially in the UK. Uh, but still. Um, that was what struck me about the interview that I found myself relating to mm. this human being yeah. that uh, ostensibly well, I have absolutely to, nothing in and common I mean, look, with. This was not a business move. This woman does not need any more money. She doesn't need, you know, but I think that this was a process she just wanted to have on record. She referenced in that interview her father, Richard, has a lot of uh, documented video footage of, of her childhood and she wanted something similar. And, um, and yeah, I, I, like, I like the fact that she's prepared to do it. And just finally, David, um, an anniversary to mark. Yeah, 50 years of open tennis. Hard to believe, isn't it? Because we, we're constantly referring to so-and-so as one more Grand Slam titles in the open era than, than anybody ever and, and so forth. That's what this relates to. 1968 and a tournament in Bournemouth in the West Hants Club. Um, I had opportunity to speak to Ken Rosewell and Rod Laver who part participated in that event back then and and they remember that moment as such a, a momentous occasion um mark cox has been interviewed a great british player from the past um, you've got to go and read these articles and just find out how tennis became what it is today because the fact is without tennis turning open you wouldn't have everything you know today in the tennis world and Go to the Telegraph website, read one of Simon's articles about it. There's some other great ones. I know in Racket Magazine, Simon Cambers has written one. Um, Mike Dixon has had a great interview with Mark Cox in the, in the mail. Really worth finding out the origins of tennis 50 years ago, the start of open tennis. Yeah, tennis historians out there get on it. And I know I said one last thing, David, but there is one very important thing still to cover. And it mm, could well be out of date by the time that you're listening to this because it is still a live story. Dan Evans is mid-comeback in a place that I have been calling Scott's Toon. Yeah, so is Simon Briggs on air. Am I accurately calling it Scott's Toon? Nope. You've got it absolutely wrong. Correct. Correct away then. Thanks to listener Jim Boyle and many others, uh, they've pronounced uh, it Scottston. Scottston. Oh, I was trying to be um you were sensitively to, scottish you were trying it. to you were trying to do that thing were you that us english people do when we go to other countries Oi. and don't speak the Oi. language is that it hey which one of us has scottish blood david is that right well how come you don't know <laughs> i don't know and you speak the accent. see when i go to france um, i do an okay accent. so scotston yes dan evans uh got a wild card into qualifying courtesy of the uh, lta into the challenger the new challenger event in scotston Yes. Glasgow this week. He won through two matches uh, in qualifying in what I believe is quite impressive form, although, as he says himself, it's difficult to, to judge because the quality mm. of, of opposition, with all due respect to, to Ed Corey, it, it, it is not what he was playing against You know, when he was inside the world's top 50. But his hopes remain alive of the dream comeback. He's in the main draw. Well, at least, yeah, to. he's in the... He's in the main draw which means he gets a ranking this time this week he doesn't have a ranking point to his name currently uh simon briggs who was there and there were a huge number of british journalists uh went up to cover this event i mean i think some people have been asking us why are people making such a fuss over the return of dan evans for a start is you know what 
why are you, why is he not getting more criticism? Some people are saying, etc., uh, etc. Et um, and why are other British players not getting the, the degree of coverage? The fact is, this guy was 41 in the world. He did test positive. He did fail a drugs test. He, he took cocaine. He doesn't shy away from that fact. And he is a story. That's why people were going up there, because he has made his comeback, and people are curious to find out what he had to say. Simon says he was really good in his interview. He didn't want to talk about whether he'd taken any drugs previously or separately to the this one occasion, but generally he was very impressive and excellent with them. Uh, Candid um, was totally happy to... to, to deride himself and self-criticize about the effects that his actions had had. He made no excuses at all. And uh, on the court, Simon said he has a bit of a tummy, uh, needs to lose that, but uh, his tennis was very impressive, particularly the end of, of what he produced. So, you know, I think it's an interesting one because so many were critical of Sharap over a year ago and us amongst them. Um, my views haven't changed on, on whether players should be getting wild cards after failing tests at the same time I like Dan Evans um, he has received a wild card I understand why he got one precedent had already been set and I do feel the circumstances are different but fact of the matter is that he is back and playing some pretty decent tennis to start with but it's still a long gold road back yeah and we will obviously discuss next week if you, depending on how far he goes in Scotston will feature on next week's podcast Scottston. Yes. Um, but for now, I think, David, that has been the tennis podcast in the pub. Mark, how many have we done in the pub? So probably three. Mark, Mark, three or four. Mark three. Yeah. Um, we've been the tennis podcast brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport with our three executive producers, Triple S, Melanie Bowes and TennisBalls.com. And of course, with the Manga Club, who are still running their promotional offer for all tennis podcast listeners. T-Podcast 18 is the code to enter to get 10% off accommodation and tennis packages at La Manga for the year ahead. David, thank you. I'll see you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.